someone once said that our businesses could make the best taco, they're the best mechanic, uh, they're the best landscaper. So they got the know-how. And what they don't have is the know-who and know-what, right, that, that'll guide them and be successful. And that's a lot of what our, we're trying to get people to understand. That's what the chambers provide, the know-who and the know-what, right? Okay, we can talk to Senator such-and-such such to say this law is not going to work for our small business owners. But again, you know, we need our businesses to come to the table now and, and, and start saying, hey, this law or this policy is impacting me negatively or even positively, right? It's no secret that the coronavirus is affecting all of us as individuals. But the effect it's having on business, especially small business, is unprecedented. We need a game plan, and fast. If we're going to survive this, we need resources and we need each other. We can't do it alone. I'm Jesse Torres, and this is Hack My Business. With my background in economic and workforce development, disaster preparedness, and general business strategy, I know I can help you navigate this scary time in your business and beyond. It's all about resiliency. I'll have the most current solutions and best practices available so we can ensure your business not only survives this crisis, but thrives. We'll also be keeping you informed about the latest resources for small business so that you don't miss a thing. Co-hosting with me will be my colleague, Sid Varakara. We'll have invited experts to help us navigate through the current noisy landscape of resources and programs that are being made available today and who will be able to prepare us for tomorrow. Let's do this together. I'm Jesse Torres, and this is Hack My Business. Hi, and welcome back to Hack My Business. This is Jesse Torres, creator and host of Hack My Business. Great to have you all back on the show. Uh, really thrilled to be welcoming a someone who I think is just an incredible political advocate, a, a mentor to me when it comes to um, you know building relationships, to to managing major programs. Someone who I deeply respect and have had the chance to work with for many years now, Julian Kennedy, who is the president and CEO of the California Hispanic Chambers of Commerce. Uh, Julian and I, we go pretty far back when it comes to working on state issues, uh, is someone who I know is also just a big time small business advocate, just like myself. And I'm just really thrilled to have him on the show for the first time. Welcome, Julian. Well, thank you, Jesse. And I've always viewed you as the mentor and uh, kind of the guiding uh, uh, personality there and helping us through this uh, maze that they call small business and small business programming. So again, thank you for all your support as well. Oh, definitely. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's so good to have you on the show. Well, I definitely want to give you a chance first to introduce yourself to our audience and, and your professional background. I mean, I know you as a savvy political guru, uh, someone who knows the inner workings of how to uh, navigate through all the different political processes mm -hmm. and and also just someone who's really good at, and effective at, at um, you know, managing boards, imagining really kind of, um, yeah. how, do, how can I best put it, very vibrant personalities. But, but yeah, walk us through your professional career, man. You know, how did you end up um, in your role today as the CEO of the California Hispanic Chamber? Well, you know, it, it's funny. I, I tell everybody it was all by accident, right? And that... Mm -hmm. And initially, locally, I, I was living in Stockton, California. I'm born and raised there. And and a good friend of mine said, "Hey, I, I need you to be uh, help me on the uh, look. that back then. It was the Mexican American Chamber. So you know how long I'm talking. You're right. So we're talking yeah. about 80s because they just started transforming names back then. But he said, "Hey, can you help?" And next thing I know, I was secretary of the board. Um, so helping them, uh, you know make a difference in the community for, for the small business community. And that was back actually in like 1994, 1995. So I did that. And then um, they asked me to help on a couple of things. They were trying to 
really uh, restructure the organization at back then at that time. And, and so I helped out on that. And then I kind of went the wayside, was doing other things. And in about, 19, about 1997, I got a call to say, hey, we need some help. Can you help out? And um, at that time, the chamber was in trouble. Um, and so we, we kind of rebuilt it, carried it out. Uh, and then I was in and out as a consultant. And then next thing I knew, they were saying, hey, uh, would you mind being the executive? And uh, that was in, hmm. I think, 1999, 2000. I said, well, I might consider it. They go, well, um, we have no money. And uh, I, then I said, oh, sure. Yeah, I'll do it. Um, so that, that, that actually started my career with the State Hispanic Chamber as, you know, the CEO. And so I was initially the CEO from 99 till, till 06, uh, early 06, 2006, uh, at which time I, I, I left. Um, went on to some other things in, I believe it was 2010, 2009, 2000, early 2010, uh, until 2013. And then I left, I went to the, uh, state Asian chamber, helped set that up, set up their policy, uh, teams and everything else. And then I returned here at the end of 2017. And now I've been here ever since, you know, I always say, well, people will say, well, why, why, why would they hire you three times? And I always say, well, the question is, why would I come back three times? But third time's a charm, right? Uh, but it has been a, a challenge in, 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 in really seeing the organization grow and guiding it through that growth as well. You know, one thing, you know, I'll tell you that I love about you and there, that we have a, a mutual friend, Joel Ayala, who's also really kind of very similar. Uh, mm -hmm. But one thing I, I really respect about you and Joel is that you always find the opportunity and the challenge. Because even when you said, uh, you know, they didn't have any money, but even that was an exciting opportunity, right, to right. jump in. And I, you know, and I think that's something that is so like for me has been, um, you know, a real key lesson through my career yeah. is to really identify, you know, for, for others, something might be, you know, a no, right? You know, that doesn't seem like a really great opportunity, but to mm -hmm. be able to see yeah. beyond that, right? The greater yeah. opportunity when a, when, a, when something gets presented to you. So, yeah, yeah my, I always really respected you. always found like the silver lining and things, you know? Well, well, well um, thanks. And, and I, I was just going to say thanks because, you know, that's how you look at it, right? An opportunity, right? Uh, you come onto an organization and, and maybe it's dysfunctional and you see some opportunity mm -hmm. of really why the organization was created, right? And I think that's what both myself and Joel um, has all, have always seen in this organization is that, there was great. There, there was great potential. Now we're we're harnessing that potential. But I think we saw that early on, right? And you say, okay, we got no money. We got some dysfunction here. Now, how do we fix it so that at the end of the day, you know, who is it that we're here to benefit, right? And that is small business at the end of the day. And I think as long as you keep your eye on that target of small business. Those opportunities seem to create themselves. And I also think that's uh, I, th I think that's totally totally right. And also, you know, that is an important skill set to learn. You know, that the the turnaround of the operation, right? And I because I know that we have within our listeners folks who maybe are taking on say like a family business. You know, maybe they're uh, you know they're working for a nonprofit where there could be some issues, yeah. and understanding how to be comfortable with that scenario, right? Going into things with eyes wide open and also developing the expertise and ability to see, 
you know the 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 rainbow at the end of the trail right, right? Mm-hmm. and i think that that is really really important you know i definitely want you know in our conversation today i really want to dig into you know what it is to be a ceo of, of a chamber especially like a statewide kind of chamber that you oversee and also just your thoughts around um advocacy you know how small business owners sure. can really gain the voice they need to be effective but let's talk first about your you know the chamber world right because i think for many small business owners that is still a bit of a mystery um mm-hmm. as far as okay what is what is that opportunity what do i need to know about a chamber of commerce before i decide to become a member so i would love to kind of hear from your perspective because you've, you've lived the life for for sure. decades now how is what is the current state of a chamber of commerce right how is it how has it changed since yeah. you first started to now you know i think you know Jesse, when I first got in this business and, you know, at that time in the late 80s, 90s and mid 90s, you know, especially Hispanic chambers were all about networking, you know, the annual gala, the Cinco de Mayo celebration. And and you have to remember in, in the whole picture of chambers of commerce nationally or even worldwide is that Hispanic chambers are actually relatively new. Right. I hmm. mean, you know, the regular chambers have been around since the Revolutionary War. Right. Lloyd's of London was basically like a chamber, right? But they had, you know, mercantile associations, whatever preceded chambers. And so, you know, our oldest chamber is, is just a little bit over 50 years old. Um, so it's, mm. it's a fairly new within the Latino Hispanic community. But I think, you know, our, our chambers have evolved from being that, basically that social network. And, and it was funny, I asked um, someone one time because I, I was looking at old incorporation papers, right? And at that time, all the directors had to sign on. And the early chambers in the in the 60s and 70s and early 80s, they all had a priest on their <laughs> father, oh. right? A padre. And yeah. I said, why is that? And I asked one of the old timers, he goes, oh, that's because, you know, you know, all, all the businesses were, you know, part of the parish. And, and the padre would always come to us, you know, every time someone needed help or they needed help, they'd come to the, the businessmen, right? Whether it was the fiesta or whatever, it was always the businessmen. And then we, we finally got the idea saying, hey, why don't we develop a chamber? That way we've got the money all the time, right, to help. You know, we don't have to do a fundraiser every time. So really, you know, our chambers had their roots in really society and, and social issues and, and making a better quality of life for many, right, through the church at that time. And now they've, they've evolved, but that's still at the root, I think, of all of our chambers. And But they've evolved from that social organization to – to an organization, I think, that has the social conscience of the community, right? And mm-hmm. the best interests of the business community. And now we're seeing our chambers evolve into technical assistance centers, uh, much more advocacy organizations, fighting for positive uh, policies, not only for business, but for the Hispanic community as a whole. So, you know, in that short 50 years, I mean, we have actually evolved quite a bit. Um, and a lot of that evolution is, is probably in the last 20, 25 years. And now we see, you know, building more capacity. And one of our roles as a state chamber is really building that capacity so that our chambers out there can provide that uh, assistance to their constituents and be more than just somewhere where we, we meet, you know, once a month to have drinks and, 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 and to discuss, you know, possible business opportunities to, to being an organization that is creating those opportunities and creating a better business environment and most important, a better quality of life for their communities and the Hispanic community that they serve. I love learning about that history. It made me just think about 
you know, I, I didn't fully grasp that until just right now, yeah. you know, those roots, right? The root, almost ancient roots of, you know, yeah. guilds, you know, those, those associations, that, that camaraderie, um, you know, it's, that's really fascinating, you know, and I definitely, you know, when I think of a chamber of commerce today, and maybe this is from being, hanging out with you, I always think of it as the amplifier of the voice, you know, of really, you know, not so much as in just my perspective, not so much as a now a kind of a, a, like a social gathering right. opportunity, but more of these are like minded folks that can really help advocate for me. And is that I mean, when when people think about becoming members of the Hispanic Chamber, is that is that really what's bringing them in or or what else are you seeing seeing driving membership for you guys? You know, I, I think that, you know, we're, we're doing a lot for for business owners to understand their local Hispanic chambers and what we do and what we provide. And, you know, there was a study years ago done that basically said 13% of diverse businesses belong to some type of business or trade association chamber of commerce. Uh, But I think really we're trying to increase those memberships by a couple things. Number one, making sure our, our chambers have that capacity to be able to provide, especially business development services, right? Uh, educating them on how you, you just mentioned it, be more effective advocates and understanding advocacy. That's a new role for a lot of our chambers out there. You know, some of them have the old mindset of, a, oh, we're a nonprofit, so we can't advocate. No, you're a business organization that needs to advocate on behalf of your members. That's what you're there for, you know, whether it's a, a local sign ordered ordinance or, you know, or statewide, you know, regulation on, um, on, on how you do business. So, and, and so, so we're doing a lot of education of especially new entrepreneurs, small businesses, of what really a chamber is and why a membership is so important to them in a local, you know, especially a local Hispanic chamber or diverse chamber. And I think, you know, a business that doesn't join sometimes is missing out on, on some unique opportunities that were out there. As you know, one of the biggest things that we advocate for is procurement opportunities, both on the state level and on, on you know, local, state, federal, government levels, but also with corporate America, with cities, et cetera, right? Um, that, you know, our businesses and our, our residents are paying those taxes as well. And, you know, we feel that there should be a fair share of, of contracts going out to them uh, because we have, you know, as you know, thousands and thousands of qualified businesses who can do everything from laying us, you know, uh, you know, asphalt uh, roads to, uh, to, you know, making a widget, so to speak. So, Mm-hmm. Um, so again, but I think it's, it's, it's getting them to understand again, the role of the chamber, you know, that the chamber isn't a social organization. It is a business organization and, and we're there to help the business and the community. Someone once said that our businesses, you know, could make the best taco. They're the best mechanic. Uh, they're the best landscaper. So they got the know how, and mm-hmm. what they don't have is the know who and know what, right. That, that'll guide them and be successful. And that's a lot of what our, we're trying to get people to understand. That's what the chambers provide. The know who and the know what, right? Okay, we can talk to Senator such and such and say this law is not going to work for our small business owners. But again, you know, we need our businesses to come to the table now and, and, and start saying, hey, this law or this policy is impacting me negatively or even positively, right? You know, if it's a law that we want, hey, we want the business also to say, hey, this is a good, uh, you know, policy that we, we support. And, you know, or, you know we're, or if it's a bad one, we want to be there. So. 
how do you, how do you manage, you know, because you are an, an ethnic chamber, yeah. you know, a, a large association of, of ethnic chambers, how do you manage that intersection around race, race and identity? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, it was interesting thinking about um, how you mentioned, um, you know, people using kind of a terminology in a certain kind of way. And I always remember um, meeting uh, on a procurement issue, with, I forget what city it was in the Bay Area, and their procurement office was the Office of Civil Rights. And, and, and how really what that meant to me is that procurement and the idea of small business development really stemmed from this idea of there are disadvantaged communities that need support and the initial offices that were designed around small business support were really offices of civil rights because they yeah. were, this was a disadvantaged community. Now, in your case as a as an ethnic chamber, you know how do you manage that that line where an issue might rise to the you know to to attention where maybe it started as a business issue but then has evolved into now a conversation about race and when do you decide? that this is no longer a business discussion, but a social discussion. How do you manage that? Well, it's not easy, right? And it's, it's like you said, a lot of times it, 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 it starts off as that conversation around, you know, business opportunity or whatever. And then we start seeing that, hey, wait a minute, you guys are not doing your fair share um, within the communities that make up this state, right? And we, I think California, um, you know, as the governor said, we're, you know, we're proud, he's proud of us being so progressive, right? And understanding that, you know, it's not necessarily about race. It's about, you know, kind of say it's about economic development, right? If you're not working with those communities, those diverse communities without to grow, then I believe, and I think we believe that the economy of, of that region or that community is not going to grow, right? It's going to be stymied mm-hmm. at some point. And that I think, you know, you and I have talked about, you know, at, at the at the Public Utilities Commission, right, there's uh, an order, GO-156, which says, though, you know, diverse spend, et cetera. And it's not about having them have a race conscience uh, in their bidding. I mean, though, you know, it's all about saying, hey, we need these diverse communities represented. They pay bills. They pay electricity, just like anybody else. But yet, We've got to reinvest some of those dollars back in those communities. So it's really about economic development. And I think, you know, the way one way we, we get around it is, you know, at the end of the day, like I said, it's about economic development, right? And and it's about everybody getting their fair share, right? And if, if Hispanics represent 30%, we feel that, you know, or 30% of the businesses, then, you know, hey, there ought to be 30% of the contracts, not necessarily carved out, but the attempts to get up to a 30% goal with qualified and certified, qualified and competitive businesses. We want our businesses to earn the work. We don't want it given to them, Mm. but they'll earn it, right? But they have to be given those opportunities. And I think that's what it really comes down to, Jesse, is is really talking about not necessarily race, but an opportunity for all to be able to participate and, 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 and grow their business and, you know, help with the economic growth of their communities. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's just so, it gets so complex and, yeah. and it's so interesting. I mean, even watching over the pandemic, you know, uh, 
college and chamber uh, struggling with the anti um, uh, Asian American Pacific Islander yeah. hate, right? You know, yeah. and and they kind of intermingling into those issues together. But but you know, I, you know, definitely, I, I want to be able to spend some time talking about you know advocacy and and what it means sure. to be an excellent advocate. And I know you know I've watched you you know doing your work. It's always been really inspiring, but. You know, for say the the small business owner who is just really for the first time mm-hmm. thinking about becoming their own advocate, right, right. or, or mm-hmm. becoming part of a group, uh, a voice of of av- other advocates. You know, what is what does it mean to be an advocate in, in in your perspective, and how do you know if you're doing it right? Yeah, I, I think the, the 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 most important thing about just even becoming an advocate or being an advocate is actually knowing those issues or those policies that are going to impact you, right. And, and, and then from there saying, Hey, this policy is bad for my business. Now I know how it impacts me. You know, years ago, before the Schwarzenegger administration, everybody was wondering why, why is it? And when I was at the chamber, I think the second time they're, they're wondering, why are we watching, why are we on the legislative side looking at the state budget so much, right? Mm-hmm. Until there was an issue with the state budget and they figured out now they were impacted, right? And now they want, you know, now they're screaming at you that, to do something rather than understanding how that state budget can impact their business if they're doing business with the state right. or they're doing business with a city or a school district, right? It's going to impact them somehow, some way, you know? And, and so really, I think the first step is, is them understanding issues that impact them, right? Their bottom line, that, that's going to affect their bottom line or their communities. And I think that's the first step. And then the second step is, again, being knowledgeable about it, right? It's like, if I tell people, if you're going to bid on a contract, you better know about the company that you're going to do business with, right? And if mm-hmm. you're going to complain about a policy or a regulation, well, then you better know about that policy or regulation and really how it's going to impact right. you and, and, and the businesses there. So, you know, that's the learning cycle, but that's where the chamber fits in, right? Because our role is to help you understand those policies and understand, you know, why we need to maybe take a certain position or that we are taking the position that you believe in and then us giving you additional ammunition. So, you know, nothing more powerful. I always tell people, I said, I'm the hired gun. You know, when a guy like me or, or whoever goes in, they know I'm hired by the chamber, right, to advocate for the small business. But when I have someone like you, a small business owner, who understands the issue, I'm not saying they technically understand it, you know, to the highest level, but understands the issue and how it's going to impact business and in your business, it's a much more powerful Thing when you go and say this is bad to a to a, to a state senator or, or a state assembly member so but then again it's, it's taking that first step getting engaged with the chamber and starting to understand how many policies and issues really impact you at the end of the day right people don't realize it you know i mean but you know through the pandemic we've sent you know everything they they made decision they made on covid19 had some sort of impact on small business right whether it was the employees whether it was the unemployment uh, um, um, policies that they put in place, whatever it was. So again, you know, the the chamber is probably that first step where where someone could uh, uh, learn a lot more about those policies, and and that's why we we've had a big push on making sure that our chambers are developed into uh, effective advocates, especially at their local levels. And yeah, and I you know I think that's just so important the the gaining that understanding of how things impact you, mm-hmm. right. Uh, as a business owner, or as a person in your community, and I think for a lot of folks, they just don't even they don't even 
understand that things can be changed, right? Um, you know, you're unhappy with the way the Paycheck Protection Program was designed. Well, you can provide comment, you can provide perspective, you can educate yeah. your, your local member of Congress about how it's impacting you, those decisions, right? And that people will actually respond because I think, you know, unfortunately for a lot of individuals, it feels like they're so disconnected from, yeah. you know, their government officials and the, and, mm -hmm. and I think sometimes the process is kept really vague and obscure, right? Because they don't yeah. want to necessarily invite your input, you know, yeah. uh, cause they have an idea of how things should be operating. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, it's interesting that I'm helping a, a nonprofit that I, that I work with, um, develop their, their kind of advocacy strategy. Yeah. And one of my first questions, I think you'll appreciate this is, uh, to the staff is, well, what drives you crazy? You know, what, what are those things that, that cause you pain, you know, that are your barriers to yeah. success. And I said, even, even tell me like the, what you think are the minutia, you know, is it a form? Is it a policy, a local policy? that you yeah. um you know are really frustrated with because then that becomes real tangible things that you can look into and see wow. if you can change it i think the the other kind of key thing when it comes to advocacy is um you know i think many folks you know will be frustrated by certain bills or certain laws mm -hmm. but what's always really important is to try to understand the history you know why was that created you know right. why why does that exist was there a good reason in the past that no longer is a good reason, right? I right. think all the, that comes into play. But I'm really curious, you know, uh, because I know you've done these, you've done the work quite a bit. <laughs> you know, what are those tactics? Well, somebody finally has an issue that they settled in on, right, that they want to right. try to address. Mm -hmm. What are the specific tactics that you use uh, or in collaboration with others to really then address that particular issue? Uh, it's funny, you, you mentioned about advocating, and, and one of the things I've always told members is that Oftentimes, don't think of it as, as advocating. Think of it more as educating the legislator, right? Mm. You, you got to remember that a lot of them have never been in business. I, I'd say you right. and I, and I both know, probably, you know, majority of them, super majority of them have never been in business. So they don't understand, you know, those nuances about business and, and what business goes through day in and day out to, to make ends meet. And so, you know, I, I used to always say, oh, I don't advocate, I educate. Uh, the politicians, uh, the elected officials on, on what is, you know, what's going to work and, 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 and the impacts of a bill. But, you know, in the age of social media now, we, we do a lot of, I call it, uh, especially if, if an issue is coming up, I, I tell our, our, our partners and, and some of our, our legislative team, our policy team is that, you know, we need to do more on positioning issues, right? If there's something that we know that's coming down the road, and I think we have to be more proactive than reactive, which is what we're trying to do uh, nowadays. So, you know, positioning our positions and, and, and educating the electeds and, and our business owners on maybe, you know, why a certain policy is, is bad or good. So I think that's one step that we're doing with a lot of our coalition members. You know, a lot of it now, you know, using a lot of social media, but, you know, still the old face-to-face coming in contact, just making an appointment and say, hey, I, I want to talk to you about this issue uh, that's impacting our businesses. And, 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 and you know, it's important to, again, um, a lot of people get nervous. You know, I've been in groups where, you know, uh, people have what they want to say and all of a sudden, you know, just like any of us, you know, kind of you're in front of a, a senator and you kind of freeze, right? I, I think, you know, it's, it's just really understanding that, that I think deep down these legislators want to help. And, and they want to know what's impacting our people. So I think really the first step, if you want to be an effective advocate, is understanding that 
they're there to help, right? They're there representing us. And and so let's help them do their job right. Right. And and maybe some of our, our problems is, is that we we haven't been out there enough with our small business owners to really put their case forward. And so, you know, we're doing things now that'll get our business owners in front of them and be much more active and 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 speaking with these legislators and educating them on the issues that are out there. So, I mean, I don't think there's one surefire way of, of being an advocate. I think it's it's just something that you do, and and with more practice, you become much more effective. I mean, believe mm-hmm. me, when I yeah. first started in this, I didn't know what the hell to do, right? I just said, okay, let's go knock on this door. But I had some good people, like you know, you and I both have, and, and friends that that helped us out along the way. Said, ah, oh, you got to do it this way, or or don't don't take no for an answer, right? I remember the first time. I was doing legislative visits for the chamber and mm. our, our volunteer lobbyist told me, he goes, no, you tell them you, we want to meet with the, with the member or we don't want to meet with them at all. Right. And I said, mm. I'm going, Oh God, you know, I'm going to say this. You know, I'm, I'm young. Right. And I'm going, I'm going to say this. And sure enough, you know, so he said, okay, you do the member or the chief of staff. That's it. Then we don't want no legislature. We want the decision makers. And you know what? We got most of the appointments we wanted with a member or the chief of staff, and uh, because we asked. And uh, yeah, but we understand that they're busy, and sometimes we, we got to meet with the legislative director. But but also, you know, understanding that at the end of the day, it's a lot of those legislative staff that do a lot of the footwork, right? You may talk to the right. member, but hey, you got to make sure you get the ear of the, the legislative staff or the person that's that's uh, manning the bill for the legislator, right? And remind them. So it's not just talking to the legislator yeah. at the end of the day, right? Right. I think that was, that was a key lesson for me. I, I mean, I was the same, very, so green yeah. when I first started. Um, and that, yeah, the understanding of, you know, that, that young legislative assistant is probably the person writing the memo right. that the member yeah. is going to be reading, you know, mm-hmm. right. And you better be nice to them. You better understand that. You better be comfortable yeah. with taking a meeting in the hallway for 15 minutes and getting really good and making your your pitch yeah you know i've gone back to washington and, and and i've had meetings with members of congress in the hallway outside of the the chambers right uh because that's all the time right. they had but they wanted to meet right and discuss it and then we'd always follow up with the legislative team said oh you know we we, we talked to congressman torres and and uh you know th- we talked about this this and this you know and then they they confirm with the member but yeah you take the meeting where you can right and and, and right. you know I, I tell our people you know they got committee hearings we're competing against and, and everything else. So, you know, you also have to be kind of accommodating uh, with their schedules, just like our schedules are, are booked up. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's all really great guidance, you know, to one, yeah. be really understanding of what issue you're, you're going to be yeah. presenting. Mm-hmm. I think also your tip around, you know, if you're going as a group, sometimes not yeah. every single person in your group needs to speak, pick the person right. that is most effective yeah. at actually exactly. communicating the message. Right. Yeah. Right. It, you know, and there's planning, it, right. Yeah. And usually when we go on a group visit, I mean, you know, usually we just kind of leave three things, right? These are the three most important right. items, right? I mean, you can't get into a deep discussion about every policy issue that's around. Uh, and, and we'll just say here's the, the, the three main items uh, that we need to discuss. Um, and I, I think, you know, I think the other important thing about being an effective advocate is understanding that, you know, you don't have to know all the nuances of the process, but at least the basics, right? That, you right. know, a law just doesn't become a law overnight, right? As, as you know, it's got a long process that sometimes lasts two years, right? And not just a year. Um, if you get it through in a year, then you've done a good job. But, you know, as you know, a lot of bills become two-year bills in, in the legislature. So, 
Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Understanding all that, all that, that takes time. You know, I think for, for, you know, that's an important thing to share too, is that mm. this isn't something you learn overnight. This is something you, yeah. you gain an understanding of over time, but it's, it's really important. I mean, I, I'm always encouraging our audience to really think about advocacy as something, a business process you need to learn how to do because mm. you are putting yourself as a, at a disadvantage if you're not keeping yourself aware about how different laws are impacting your business, if you're not keeping ahead of new regulations, if you don't understand who your local representatives are, because you know those folks are here to help you. To your point, they're here to help you. They want to yeah. help you, and they need to know what the issues are. Um, you know, I, I know for your members, there's a whole lot of different issues that you know are probably rising to the top right now. But of all the things, like what are what are your top small business issues that you guys are focusing in on for this current yeah. year? Well, this year, you know, number one, we, we have what is called AB 2019 now, which is a continuation of a, of a bill that we introduced last year that died. Uh, but that would that would codify into law the 25% uh, small business procurement order um, that governors have had in place under executive order. But that would make it law that, that state agencies do 25% uh, procurement with small business. Of course, you know, we, we, because of 209, we can't get into racial, you know, or ethnic distributions. But we figure in small business and outreach to, to our diverse communities, number one, they'll, they'll meet the goal. But again, we'll, we'll make sure that some of those, our diverse businesses are getting, again, that fair share. So that's a real important bill to us this year. There, are, there have been us and different groups that have tried for six years to get this, as you know, get this codified into law. So we're hoping to get it here in the seventh year. That's one big thing. The other thing is is on, on the budget, really making sure that the state continues to understand the importance of small business to California's economy, right? I always say it's unfortunate that it took a pandemic to get them to really understand the mm -hmm. impact that small business has. And since then, you know, the, the state has put up, you know, loan guarantee programs, public-private uh, partnership loan pr lending programs, uh, that we've been supportive of. But again, there's a bill that will, you know, every year the, the state puts up money for the SBDC program, the match. And so that's an important bill to us to make sure that the state continues to have that commitment to small business, that we're able to keep those technical assistance programs in place. Um, as a matter of fact, I think you started it, right? <laughs> when you were there did, with the governor's know, office, all, right? And so now- With right, the help of, a, you know, great partners. Yeah, absolutely. Right, it was a, a five-year- commitment from Governor Brown that carried over into into Governor Newsom. And, and now um, there's legislation that would make that permanent and, and a, a permanent allocation on the budget rather than us going through the budget process every year, which we feel is important, right? Because now we know where that money will be there. We'll continue to have those programs in place, which we feel is important to the to the economic growth of California and, and the growth of our small businesses uh, here in California. So those are, are, are two major bills that we're looking at of course, we, we killed AB 1400, which would have been the, the health care, universal care. I mean, we are not against, we, we truly believe everybody should have health care, right? That's just a basic thing that everybody should have. Nobody should be denied that. Our issues are with the financing part of it. And so um, I know the state's working on possible you know, financing structures, uh, but the bill that was before us uh, was not one we felt that uh, uh, really kind of answered how we're going to fund that 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 healthcare for all, and the other thing is is a, is a, is an important bill to us because it's called AB two fifty seven, right? And and some people will say, well, you're you're protecting the McDonald's 
corporation or or the Burger King corporations, et cetera. So this this actually would create another level of bureaucracy that would oversee the fast food industry, wage, hmm. health benefits, and everything else, which is already in place, right? And and so reason we are so adamantly opposed to this isn't that it's protecting a, a major corporation because all the franchisees are small business owners, as you know, right? I mean, they may right. own two stores, they may own 20 stores, but they're small business owners. They're, they're not the McDonald's corporation. They're just licensing the name, right? That gets them there. Uh, but uh, we have some of the legislature that are trying to lump them all together into that. So again, we, we feel that with stymie, you know, small business growth, since a lot of our diverse communities go into franchise ownership, uh, whether it's a McDonald's, which is, you know, on the high end, to a subway, to even, you know, new ones that are developing. So again, tr- trying to be proactive in, in making sure that those businesses can continue to grow or that people can continue to create businesses and and, and get into the, the franchise business as well. So those are three uh, of some of mm-hmm. our, our major focal points right now. Of course, you know, uh, we still have continued issues on on energy in regards to how we get to our goals, our renewable goals, uh, we believe in the in the goals that we have in place, but we do believe that we need to take the least uh, the path that has the least impact on our small business owners. You know, at the end of the day, again, it's a piece of legislation that's targeting you know the, the Chevrons or the or the Exxon's of the world. But what what happens is they forget about the unintended consequences upon our our small businesses. So we as small business sometimes have. We, we have our opinion on, on, on maybe how best we can navigate this road to our renewable goals and still meet the timeline that's been put in place. Absolutely. I, I, I do have a loaded question for you that, you know, that pertains to all this is, <laughs> you know, there there is the comment that is always made about California, California being mm-hmm. inhospitable to small business, despite the fact that we have the most small businesses in the entire right. country, 4.2 mm-hmm. million, I think, right? What do you, how do you respond to that? As someone who works so closely with all types of small business owners, you yeah. know, what do you say to that? You know, I think at the end of the day, those of us here in California love California, right? I mean, the weather, the climate, everything, right? Um, and I think, you know, again, that comes with a cost at the end of the day, right? But I think the real question is, is I think business will pay those costs if they see the state investing that money back into our businesses, mm. into the economic mm-hmm. growth of California so that, you know, the businesses continue to increase sales, whether it's, you know, people have jobs, et cetera. So, I mean, yeah, California is a tough state to do business. But I think if you do, you know, if you do well in California, you'll do well worldwide. You know, there, and I say, you know, I don't want to say that we don't agree with, with a lot of the regulations, but we do believe that there, again, there has to be a better understanding of those impacts on small business, right? Because some of the regulations are targeted towards large corporate America. And, and, and again, you know, I think if we can make sure that they understand the impacts on small business, California for small business will be much, much more friendlier. I think we have the, the state recognized, again, the importance by the amount of dollars that they invested in small business, the grants that they gave out, the, the fact that we have expanded the small business education, technical assistance programs in the state. We have expanded the loan guarantee programs that we have in the state. So I, I think really deep down, California is serious about keeping their businesses here. 
But because of, you know, the fact that it's California and we have some real tough goals on environment and everything else, we're going to have to pay the price, right? Someone told me some one time because I was complaining about the taxes in San Francisco, right? Mm. And 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 they they just turned around. They go, well, we may charge all those taxes, but uh, look at the San Francisco skyline, and don't look at the buildings. Look how many cranes are out there, and those cranes are mean businesses growing. It means they're creating jobs. They're creating a tax base, which have hopefully takes some burden off a of small business, our business community. So it was an interesting analogy, right? Look at the yeah. cranes out there, right? And, and right. I remember going through San Francisco and I counted something like 30 cranes that were up. That means they were putting up some buildings, right? And, and you know, when people are working, people are buying our, you know, our small business products. They're eating in our restaurants, you know, and, and the economy is flowing. So, you know, I really say that, yeah, we've got some stupid policies that maybe are, are forcing some businesses out of state. But at the same time, you know, that's a, a price you have to pay, right, for, for I think the luxury that we have. I mean, we'll continue to 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 fight for favorable regulations because we we truly believe that they need to be in place for our businesses to continue to grow as well. So, that that is a loaded question, but it, it's hard to answer. <laughs> but, you, you know, it, it's it's it, you, you know, you can't have one without the other. Let's say right. right. And I think right. I really understand deep down. I mean, what you hate to see leave are the big businesses, right? You know, like you know, Teslas and and everything else. And but you have to remember, a lot of times that's not just about the, the overregulation of business. That's about those corporate executives' tax base, right? That's yeah, right. About, you know, someone someone told me Lockheed right. chose like Illinois or something because they had a more favorable tax uh, tax uh, program, or or or, or uh, you know their taxing was better towards the executives than California. So so it's not always necessarily uh, I think the regulations here in California. I, I totally agree. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is you got to look past what is being said and right. the the tangibility, right? You know, to yeah. your point, it's like, well, look and see other cranes, right? Mm. What what is the real impact to your business there? Because yeah. you want to push past the story, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah and, and I got to say, you know, just just a quick mention of you know the small business technical assistance program, and this kind of just points to the process. But you know, that issue is something I got involved with back in two thousand nine. The idea of state support for technical assistance programs. And even by then, I, I stood on the shoulders of people who had been advocating on that issue for decades. Right. And so for me, it's actually really so inspiring and exciting to see that even after I left, there were others who could take it up and take it to this yeah. even more incredible kind of level. But just to show you know to folks that things like advocacy, especially when it's the big issue, takes years and takes a lot of time and planning yeah. it's not something that can be done yeah. really easily overnight um you know I, I know we don't have a whole lot of time with you left but i definitely want to hear you know um what comes next for the chamber you're always on the cutting edge of you know <laughs> what the chamber is all about and what it can do yeah. so what what's coming up for you guys well i think I, I think you know for us we have our usual stuff that we do we have our annual uh convention in oakland california august 10th through the 13th so I had to put that plug in or else I get yelled at by staff. But, you know, I mean, I mean, just a vision, um, you know, we're, we're trying to move towards saying we know that there are certain things that are going to happen with, with California's regular weather. Uh, I'll give example, uh, electrification. You know, we know mm. the state's moving towards electrification. I mean, everything we're doing is moving towards that. Right. You know, the governor is talking about 
what, by 2040, no, no combustible engines being sold in the state, right? And, um, and so really it, it, it's starting to work with our businesses and, and, and with the business community and saying, hey, how do we make sure we're preparing our businesses for that trend, right, for that change? You know, uh, what are we doing to contribute overall to help on those regulations and not just complaining about them? You know, so for instance, we have a, a uh, electric truck program that we're going to roll out in Los Angeles hopefully soon. We're going through some, some areas in regards to some land needs that we have there for the charging stations. But again, you know, how do we now, you know, create green jobs, right? You know, w- we've got to put in 50 charging stations. How do we take that and train a workforce that's going to be able to put in charging stations throughout California? And as you know, we need thousands upon tens of thousands of those, right? Um, but also, how do we educate our community on that? But more importantly, how do we get business in front of the eight ball, especially diverse businesses, rather than behind it? Like, as you know, we've been been in front of that uh, that that eight ball and, and, and get them prepared for, you know, what is going to be ch- the changing business climate in California and just the environmental aspects of things. So, again, that that's something we're, we're, we're looking at. You know, how do we become more engaged in educating our businesses? You know, I was just talking with I was talking to the um, CEO of GM just before the pandemic, and she was talking about how they plan to go all electric vehicles, you know, especially in California to sell because of, of our regs. And, you know, we had a discussion. I said, well, you know, electric vehicles are fine, but you know what? I got a whole bunch of muffler, Latino-owned and diverse-owned muffler shops, smog shops. Where are they going to be at? You know, so hmm. we need to start investing in, in, in saying how do we have transfer of, of knowledge or technology to those businesses so they maybe start changing from doing smog or muffler shops to being, you know, maintaining electric vehicles, whatever it may be, right? And I think that's that's one thing that we're trying to do is say, you know, again, how do we foresee the future almost, right? And say, where right. are they going to need businesses and, and develop those businesses? So uh, again, you know, in the future, a lot of our, our, our work and a lot of discussions I have with the state, with corporate America is saying, you know, we know you have opportunities, what we call low hanging fruit, you know, we've always called low hanging fruit that's there. But what we want to know is what's coming down the pipeline, you know, can we help create businesses and, and, and that can start, you know, doing those contracts and it may be two, three, four or five years down the road, you know, cause they have, they know their infrastructure projects that are coming up. So again, trying, the organization is really trying to be forward thinking and, and, and how do we create um, those opportunities and create the businesses that could take, take advantage of those opportunities there? And I think, again, you know, we'll, we'll continue to work towards a, a legislature that is, you know, much more moderate and, and sees that tie to small business and understands those needs of small business uh, because that's what's going to create jobs here in California. So at the end of the day, I think our vision is is really to create a stronger and, you know, help make California the fourth largest economy rather than the fifth here in the state. I love it, man. I love it. And, and I really appreciate all you're doing to really kind of be the, uh, you know, the visionary for, for small businesses uh, across the state. How can how can our listeners connect with you, connect with the chamber, keep sure. up to date on all your different activities? Well, our website is www.cahcc.com. You can go there or you can, you know, always call us directly at the office. The number is on the website, but the number is 916-444-2221. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at CA Hispanic. 
And so, you know, you can get a hold of us a lot of different ways. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, good, bad, or ugly. You know, the only way we, we become stronger or better serve the community is, is by hearing it all, right? I mean, I, don't, I just don't want to hear the good stuff. Uh, as you know, Jesse, you know, we want to hear the bad stuff as well because that's what's going to make us better and, 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 you know, have us do a better job at what we do. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Julianne. I look forward to see you. I'm sure in Sacramento, I'm sure down here in LA, <laughs> but uh, thanks again for your time, my friend. If you need help and want to be a part of our community and find resources to grow your business, join us at our website at smallbusinessfront.com. We'd love to see you there. Have a great day and we'll catch you next time on Hack My Business.